Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast for nerds and dorks. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening. Today's episode is a great one. We have a fantastic guest on. He is a performer out of Chicago, Martin Morrow. He does stand-up. He does improv. He acts He's been in a bunch of stuff. You've maybe even seen him on Hannibal Burris's Why on Comedy Central. And Splitsider named him one of the top up-and-coming comedians. He's got a lot going on, and we have a really good chat that talks about stand-up and improv and his approach to it and some other things, too. Some fun bits in there. Check it out. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Martin Morrow. You're from Alabama, but you've been in Chicago... A good while. Yeah, since uh, January 3rd, 2011. Yeah. And you yeah. were in New York a little bit as well, right? Yeah, back in uh, 2010. I was there for about a half a year. Yeah. Were yeah. you performing at all before you went to Chicago or New York? I was. I started when I was in college at Auburn University, but I was doing, um, I started with like a duo. We did sort of like a sketch stand up hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started doing improv with the uh, Extemporaneous Theater Company for a little bit in Birmingham. So I would drive two hours from. Auburn to go do improv in Birmingham and also doing stand up a little bit during that time. Okay. And so what would you say uh, now is your uh, main focus? It seems like, sounds like you're doing both pretty professionally and hardcore. (laughs) Yeah. And improv. Yeah. uh, More so second city, uh, just Mm -hmm. time wise. Cause I'm, I'm there, you know, six nights a week from, uh, seven thirty to you know sometimes eleven, sometimes one, sometimes two in the morning. Uh, but also still do stand up uh, either after the show or uh, before the show or on Monday nights. So mm-hmm. uh, really just you know trying to hammer in both. That's awesome. Yeah. When did improv become a part of your repertoire? Uh, two thousand nine, when I was uh, a little bit shy of when I was turning twenty one. Mm-hmm. Uh, auditioned for the ETC uh, in Birmingham. Uh, which is like this uh, improv theater company, and every everyone in it had been doing improv for like nine, ten years. So, oh, cool. was, yeah, I was very surprised that I got in, but it was also very cool to be able to improvise with, you know, essentially such veterans and people who had such a great repertoire and learned from them. Yeah, it sounds like, at least this is the impression I'm getting, is that you had a knack for things pretty quickly. I mean, you you're per- immediately performing with people who were in it nine years, is because you had something about you that made them feel like oh yeah this guy might be new at this but he can roll with us yeah i think i just knew sort of the basic tenets of improv and mm-hmm. had like a little bit of a theater background and it, it just sort of helped in a lot of ways but just sort of coming in with a lot of original characters and uh my own sort of point of view to things yeah and you quickly made a lot of progress with stand-up as well yeah uh, maybe not just, I, I was horrible for a long time and up. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it was, I would say actually when I was in New York, that's where I was able to cut my teeth in doing stand up. Um, because yeah, the, the, the first, when I was doing it at Auburn in Birmingham, 
And uh, for a long time in New York, I was uh, just consistently bombing. Mm. Or even stuff that stuff that seemed to work, uh, more so in Birmingham and Auburn, um, I probably would look back on and cringe because it was uh, one. It just wasn't me. I was trying to I was trying to play to a certain audience and a certain degree of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of like blue humor and sort of very lowest common denominator style uh, okay. of material. But yeah. Yeah, I'm learning that here. I just moved to New York from South Carolina, so there's a similar experience there coming from the South, the Bible Belt, performing, doing stand-up and improv, but then moving to a big city. And when I'm doing stand-up, I'm still working in some of the older jokes and jokes that maybe did really well back home. It's like people are still waiting for the punchline here. Yeah. How did you develop your material so that you were doing stronger stuff, or how did you cut your teeth? Uh, I think a lot of it was just having to die a horrible death so many times that <laughs> I uh, I just had to refocus my energy mm-hmm. um, and talked about things that were a little bit truer to me. Um, and I, you know, at that time, I was, you know, I was twenty one years old, so. I didn't know a lot. I still probably don't know a lot, but uh, but I, I started getting more so into not necessarily political humor, but like I remember my first first joke that worked well in New York was this joke about um, blood. It was a blood diamond joke, mm-hmm. like that, getting that big pop and like, oh, okay, that's that's what works. That's the that's the style uh, that I need to sort of play into. And then you know just so so the, the sort more charactery stuff didn't work too well in New York, but the, um, the, the stuff that was like grounded worked. Okay. I could see that. Was there a change moving to Chicago when it came to stand up? Not entirely. Um, I think I was, when I, when I first moved here, I was still sort of in the New York mindset and I, and I lived in Birmingham again after, uh, after New York. Um, and so when I, when I went back to Birmingham, I was kind of like, you know, this, you know, big men on campus sort of thing. Cause there, there were only like 15 to 20 comics in the Birmingham scene at that time. Um, so it wasn't like hard to, you know, get on places and do certain things and shows. Um, but I could talk about certain experiences that had happened to me or just certain people or, you know, uh, things in my life and use that to sort of segue into living in Chicago mm-hmm. and, and then developed a lot more Chicago centric stuff and then just sort of kept, Growing and developing my own voice, um, and, and a lot of that in dealings with you know like race or religion or family, you know things things of that nature. Okay. Yeah. It seems that a lot of people, when it comes to developing stronger material with stand-up, a lot of people will suggest that you talk about really deep-seated, dark things about yourself or talk about your family and and things like that. Does it have to really get that real? Or I mean, obviously it has to be grounded. I think it is a good idea to make it true to you, but do you have to start letting out uh, other people's skeletons from their closets to do <laughs> better material? I, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, the the stuff that I was doing for the past couple of years has been like talking about watching TRL or uh, or you know the evolution of R and B throughout the throughout time. Um, so some of it can just be that sort of observational um, style. I think for me, I just wanted to, especially in the past, like you know, a few months or year, just grow out of that and more so talk about like 
like you know for a while the closer was the closer uh was talking about uh bombing uh at a cat williams show just because that's such a unique experience and uh and and so like it's it's not necessarily like in the moment it was horrible and it and i hated it i hated the feeling of like boy should i quit comedy because this is the (laughs) the world um but afterwards like having that um having that experience and being able to use that uh for stand up you know for for this you know you use this use this uh t- this tool of failing as a tool for success mm-hmm. um i think was a good development so I, I think a lot of it isn't necessarily play playing into your demons mm-hmm. as much as it is uh playing into um your, your your vulnerabilities if that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. and also just like your perspective yeah like you you're playing your perspective that's where the truth is coming in I do want to know a couple of things. Uh, one about the Cat Williams show and what happened exactly, but also uh, the evolution of R and B. It'd be interesting to know what you what was your take on that. Uh, as far as R and B goes, I uh, did a joke where I talked about how you know I grew up on R and B, and you know my, my mom would play in the car all the time. Uh, right, you know, me too. For work, yeah. And Anita uh, Baker. <laughs> Anita Baker, uh, you know, Boys yeah. to Men, all yeah, for one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and so I would go into how, uh, you know, how, how it was in like the, the 60s and then the 70s. I was like all about heartbreak and stuff like that. And then in the 80s, yeah. it was very poppy and positive. And then in the 90s, it was like sensual, but still respectful. Mm-hmm. Like how, how it's just very gross and disgusting in every yeah. song. Yeah, just, in, you know, no subtlety being left. Yeah, that's uh, my uh, interpretation as well. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and even the dancing is different. If you look at, I think I had a joke on this about how uh, you look at the dancing that people did back uh, in the '60s, like the the doo-wop guys, like this, just sort of steps and putting a hand out, and you know, like all, it all seemed very gentlemanly. And now yeah. it's all just like just rub yourself against somebody else. Like that's, that's yeah. the dancing now. Everything is like magic mic essentially. Yeah. It's all changed. Uh, yeah. let's get to this cat Williams thing. Uh, not to rehash something, uh, <laughs> may have been rough, but you did in your act. Uh, yeah. so what, what happened? Uh, basically it was, um, I, I got asked to do this, this cat Williams show and I was super yeah. thrilled. Uh, how long were you in your career? And when you got asked to do that, this was, a, this was last April. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this was, uh, no, not last April. It was April 2015. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I was seven, eight years in, somewhere, somewhere around there. Maybe seven. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, I, uh, they, they got the call. They were like, can you send a clean clip? Can you work clean? Yeah. I thought it was like kind of weird to have to work clean, but right, like, for oh, for him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe it's like a juxtaposition, like I'll be clean, so like his dirtier stuff just hits uh, more. So uh, I get there um, real early. So I'm gonna get there real early. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah, you got to check in at with such and such. The person who I was supposed to check in with apparently quit that day. So they're like, yeah, we don't know who you are, or like, oh, or uh, so. So they're like, so someone, someone came and grabbed me because I was like, I don't know what you, what you want me to do. Because they're like, yeah, your name's not on the list. I was like, well, I'm supposed to be doing the show. <laughs> Guy comes and grabs me and he's like, yeah, just put your stuff here and made me sit. I, I, I had I brought a suit and I had to put my suit over. It was uh, it was in this like sort of like lobby in between area. Mm-hmm. There 
two vending machines and a microwave and an empty pizza box. I had to put my suit on top of the pizza box. And there are a lot of green rooms, mind you. There's a ton of green rooms and locker rooms, but I was not <laughs> able to go in any of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was just one of those things of like, oh, this, like, you know, when you can tell you're about to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Like that. That sounds uh, like that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and just like more, you know, more stuff kept happening. And then like the show started like 45 minutes late. And then, uh, and then the, you know, the host went up and he was very dirty. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. It's still, you know, weird. and so the, 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 the guy who set a lot of it up was like, all right, just, you know, go out there have a killer instinct. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. No worries. <laughs> Go out there. I, they maybe I got to pick a song. I picked, uh, uh, I don't know. Can I cuss on here? Or is, that's fine. No, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It was, it was a hot nigga by Bobby Shmurda. That was like uh-huh. the jam at the time. So I went out there, I started dancing. Everyone was losing their minds. I get in my first bit. And I, I should mind you this too. the host. Uh, he, he had the only thing he said to me beforehand was like, Hey, uh, he goes, you, you go, what, you go, what's your name? I go, Martin Morrow. He goes, all right, cool, cool. And you from here? I go, yeah, I mean, I, I live here now. He's like, all right, cool. So when he brings me up, he goes, all right, ladies and gentlemen, from Chicago, born or raised, you're going to absolutely love it. Right here from <laughs> Chicago. Give it up for Mark Morrow. And then, you know, came out yeah. and dance stuff. Get my first bit. It does all right. Uh, then, then I go, so I'm from Birmingham. Boo. <laughs> Boo. And then it's like a hail of booze and all this stuff. And uh, and then I try to like switch gears and jump into like another bit with just sooner. And they just, it's just like raining booze. And it wasn't like everybody booing, but it was enough people booing. To where so it's like, be a huge distraction to everyone. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty much it. And then I yelled out, don't get mad at me because you never met your fathers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then the Bill Burr on them. Yeah, and the, and the host like was like, "Just come off, just come off." And I was like, "All right." So, I did uh, three minutes and thirty-two seconds of a ten-minute set, uh-huh. uh, and they're like, "Hey, man, Cat wants to talk to you." And I was like, "Oh, great! Now, now he's gonna yell at me. I'm not gonna get paid." Yeah. And I went backstage, and he was like, "Yeah." He goes, "You know, we." He was like, "It's not your fault. We we set you up to fail." He was very chill about everything, and he was like, "You know, uh, we we told we told him you were from Chicago, you're from Birmingham." He goes, "I thought you were funny though. Like, you know, I saw your video. I thought it was great." And, because that that thing about the fathers tickled me, yeah. and so he, he was like, "I just hope you know this, this isn't like this isn't like conducive to the Cat Williams brand or any of our stuff." So it's just mm. a just a thing. And I was like, "Okay, that's you know that's fair." And uh, and I made six hundred dollars on wow, it was supposed three hundred dollar gig. Uh, so <laughs> I was like, yeah, "I'll get paid six hundred dollars to bomb anytime." Like, that's, <laughs> that's well, that's that's a ends up being a good story then. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's that is rough though. I haven't been booed yet. I shouldn't say yet. I don't want it to happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I would not wish that upon anybody. But yeah, if, if you're gonna get, I say, if you're gonna get booed, at least get paid for it. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> real. Um, so you, your improv world, uh, you it started in Birmingham, but then in Chicago, did you start at Second City? Did you go to any other other theaters? What was your your improv world like there? I really, I only did uh, Second City here, um, just because I was uh, Baron Vaughn. Not sure if you know him. Oh, he's great. I've opened for him once. Oh yeah, he's just super the, nice the dude. The nicest dude. Yeah. Yeah, just all around me, the best. Um, yeah. He had recommended I move to Chicago, and uh, also recommended that I try out Second City. And um, Yanni Griffin Irons, who's one of the producers of Second City, 
Um, so I took a uh, intensive in the summer of 2011 and then applied for the scholarship for like free classes and I got that. And then I went back to Birmingham for a little bit and then came back and started the classes. Started doing a show called Benchco and uh, also started taking um, classes at, uh, I took like one class at comedy sports theater mm-hmm. just so I sort of, you know, refresh or get, because Chicago style of improv is very different from uh, really any other place that, uh, you know, I've been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and you know, I haven't improvised in like a lot of places, but it is a, a sort of a different beast. Yeah, how do you um, how do you uh, define that? Uh, I think Chicago, in, in a lot of ways, if if you're if you're performing with people who know what they're doing, if they're good, it is a lot of attack first, um, in the sense of like you come out with a very strong initiation, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think a lot in a lot of places, and even you know even some theaters here and stuff, it is a lot of like. Um, I don't want to say patience, but just like either someone says something wacky at the top that doesn't really fit the, the bill for what might set up the scene, mm-hmm. um, just someone trying to be funny at the top, or you get a sense of like, oh, I don't know what we're doing, um, which is, you know, I've seen before. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, so I think that was like the, the, the major difference. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so I, I just continued doing classes at Second City and made my way up to, made, up, made my way up the ranks over there. Cool. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it sounds like you had a really good experience with that there. Yeah. Uh, um, when it comes to doing improv, what is your process? What kind of approach do you like to take to it? Um, none. <laughs> uh, yeah. In, in terms of like doing a, a scene or a show or how do you mean? Yeah, I would say like like doing a scene like you take um, like you were just mentioning like attacking right at the top and having a strong character. Like, what's your process there? Oh, I really, I mean, I just wash my brain away, and uh, you know, whatever you know, we get a suggestion and just play with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I try not to go in with any like ideas or anything because mm-hmm. that can change instantly, and but also being able to mold into whatever it may be. So like last night we were doing a scene where I think we got the suggestion of back scratcher and I was doing this like as if I was scratching someone's back and he was like, Oh, this is hairstylist. So then I, you know, you switch it up to whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you try not to go in with too many preconceived notions. That's I guess a general rule, but, um, you're not going with in a, with a bunch of preconceived notions. And, uh, are you trying to attack with the, a comedic element or cause I know some, some view like the UCB style is, uh, they have a comedic point and they are sort of attacking that comedic point. Um, where, where were you fall in line with all the different uh, styles? I mean, I think it, it, it varies. I wouldn't say I've fallen in any particular style. Uh, sometimes I can be a goofy character. Sometimes it could be something satirical or political. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes it can be, oh, I have to do this impression, um, or just I'm going to do a walk on of mm-hmm. celebrity such and such. Um, so it, it really varies in a lot of different ways, uh, depending on the moment. So I, I think it's it's more so better to be a chameleon. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 What is the team that you're performing with there, or teams that you're performing with there? Uh, currently, just the main stage at Second mm-hmm. City. Yeah, okay. I yeah, uh, that that was my goal when I moved to Chicago was to perform 
at Second City and be on the main stage or tour of Second City. And I was able to do those two things. That's awesome. Yeah. Doing both stand-up and improv and really making a lot of headway with it, because you are getting a lot of attention for both. I think it's hard to do one of those things just for focusing and getting there. How do you handle or manage time and and your mental capacities and energy to be able to do both on that level? Um, uh, maybe not well. <laughs> I, uh, let's see, I, I try to sleep when I can. I mm-hmm. try to um, keep my body at not necessarily a physical peak, but like, oh, I, I need to drink more water today or maybe I should go for a run today or, you know, do 10 push-ups, whatever it may be to like <laughs> yeah. get that. Um, uh, mentally, I started therapy mm-hmm. uh, a month ago and it's helped so much just mm-hmm. to uh, have that like catharsis of talking to someone who looks like me and is older than me and you know has studied these books about why I think the way I think or why I do some of the things I do. Um, I think it also helps to one, just sort of be able to be quiet sometimes and just not have to worry about stuff or not have to deal with people or the complexities of certain situations and um, and because I mean it's a very fickle fickle business in a lot of ways um, and in a lot of like you know and ant- you deal with a lot of antagonistic uh, situations and people mm-hmm. oftentimes um, whether they mean to or not I mean there's so many different factors into a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, but I, I learned that just like taking a break from people can be that helps a lot. Um, and it, and I think that also helps root into, into stand up more than anything. Because I, one thing I, one thing I picked up, like I deleted Facebook. I was like, you know what? I want to get off of Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. it seems like a toxic environment. And one thing I noticed from that is people tend to talk to me, like talk to me personally and tell me more things about situations going on. Mm-hmm. Cause they know the- you're not on Facebook and didn't see it. Not even, I mean, maybe not even to the extent that like someone, someone had this post recently where they're they like said something to some said something about somebody and they were like, Oh, did you see this thing? And I go, No, I didn't. And they're like, Well, go look at it. I was like, I can't. I don't have Facebook. <laughs> and uh and they were like, Well, I'll make it public. I want you to, you know, just to try to get me to see this thing. And I and I looked at it, I was like, Yes, yeah, this is crazy. This, you know, it is what it is. But like I, I learned um I learned that you, you tend to have that like that type of conversation more Mm. or you hear you hear people's sides uh, and why they do things or why they think about things oh that's Uh, interesting yeah uh versus like this blanket like here's here's this thing i want the world to see versus like well here's why i did this thing that i want the world to see yeah Yeah. i kind of feel that way about twitter uh just because there's so much and i follow you on twitter uh that's actually how we connected here but uh, that that's where I find like some a lot of toxic people uh, yeah. and and toxic things. So I'm trying to maneuver my way around it. It's like how can I uh, just learn to write jokes better for Twitter and then promote the podcast yeah. <laughs> and just focus on that. Well, I think that you know the the world right now and maybe not even right now, just forever has mm-hmm. been a, a toxic place. Uh, we, we can say it stems from Trump. Of, you know, where Trump, Trump's 70 years old. Where did Trump come from? He came from a rich, wealthy, racist <laughs> dad. Who also came from a rich, wealthy, racist dad. And then mm-hmm. it's just trickle down. And Yeah, toxic and has it, been around. <laughs> yeah. 
It's and, not new, uh, and uh, the internet is just making it easier to see all the just toxic yeah. uh, stuff out there. It, it makes it easier, and it makes it it expands it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and so I think also though, and it, it comes from both sides. Like we're all doing it of the infighting and the uh, the, the echo chambers and the, the, the calling somebody out. Yeah, all of that stuff, you know. Yeah. And it, it, which it is what it is. We 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 have our we have our views, and we have the 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 ways that we want to find acceptance or find. Um, you know, solace or, you know, whatever it may be. I, it, you know, like when we, when we tweeted Trump, right. It was it really doing. It's not, it's not he's not going to, he's not oh, reading that. That hurt feelings. Oh, oh, they're, they're right. I should, I should change. I am fat, you know, whatever it may be. It's not and at the end of the day, it's not going to reach this person. So mm-hmm. that we, that we really want to take down or who we really are against or really are bad yeah. at. And even uh, if it does reach them, it's not going to like reach their heart. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to go, hey, yeah, you've got a valid point, like you were saying. Uh, yeah. And so much of it, I guess some people will argue that, and I've, heard, I've seen people argue this, at least, that uh, they say it so the other people will see it, but they're still seeing you just attack somebody. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it to me, seems like it, it may just defeat. I, I'm not sure if this is accurate, but it seems like during the Bush administration, the uh, the W. Bush administration, the response to him from liberals and, and liberal comics kind of made people retaliate during the Obama administration yeah. for that stuff that they had deemed as unfair or whatever. And, uh, and people can agree or disagree if it was fair or not to go at bush like that but it then created this other well we've got to get them back and so then that happens with obama and now it's like happening in a different way <laughs> with uh i mean it just seems like it's never ending and yeah. um I, i've heard before i think i'm pretty sure it was john Mayer who came up with this is how i found out about it but he was saying let's take a a uh, digital cleanse is, is what he called it where we get off of social media for a couple weeks and uh, we get off of we don't text people if someone texts us we call them back uh, and so we get off of all this like digital stuff and just to cleanse it all out of our system and I actually did yeah. it and I actually think it was helpful to yeah. just be away from it and it opened your eyes to things yeah I hope to if I didn't rely so much on like you know this this yeah <laughs> thing i would lo- i would love to like i, I there's some at some point last week i thought about just throwing it in the lake uh-huh. i was like oh, i gotta I was like, one i paid a lot of money for it i didn't get it insured uh <laughs> but two like oh I, I gotta call my mom or like i that's where my calendar is and my, mm-hmm. my email, you know for work or whatever yeah uh, and i think that's that like that's the stress of so much of it is um we have put so much of our lives into into our phones and into the digital universe and the, the social media aspects of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, that's you know, I, like get, getting off of Facebook was was one thing, and I, and I hope that I, you know, to to even sort of borrow from that concept, like you know, maybe one day purge from Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, and just sort of be a uh, be a ghost a little bit. <laughs> you know, it it doesn't hurt people like George Clooney to not be on Twitter. Yeah, 
you know, it, it actually helps them maintain how people view them in the public because they only have certain specific areas where they can uh, even acknowledge them. So yeah, purging is not a half bad idea in all honesty. (laughs) Uh, one of the things I'm learning more, I'm, I'm finding, as someone who's taking improv classes and doing stand-up and trying to learn more, I took a, a comedy class online, um, so I'm learning new things, and I'm, I'm learning about things in improv class that I think is helping me uh, conceptualize more ideas or better ideas for stand-up as well, especially when you talk about like truth and comedy. Like being grounded and finding those uh, that that sort of that speaks to both improv and stand up, like that stage performance. Are there any things like that that you have noticed, and if so, what are they? Let's let's hash those out. Yeah, I uh, I'm a firm believer in that they both can help each other. Mm-hmm. I think uh, improv helps stand up if you are a if you, if you're a stand up who likes to you like the performance aspect over the writing aspect, and he, mm-hmm. I mean really in both in both ways but um i i didn't re- like one thing i didn't realize is someone was like oh you can sing pretty good you should sing oh cool. and, and i thought that i was like oh no I'm for years i thought i was a horrible singer um and maybe i am but i can in front of white people they don't know the difference uh <laughs> so so a lot of it was like little things like that of oh i can i can you it can use this aspect of performance for this or mm-hmm. Uh, or like riffing, like uh, like r- riffing and you know ad libbing and, and stand up. A lot of that came from the improv background and from like having to have those two person grounded improvised scenes, right? Uh, where it's like, oh, I just have to have to have a conversation with this person, but not as myself. Mm-hmm. I think stand up is so much an exaggerated form of self, um, and stand up, you, you know, utilizing st- utilizing stand up into improv. A lot of it is um, in a way of uh, of that that sort of solo aspect, but also like going into going into yourself a little bit. And, and, um, and I think a lot of improvised characters are just extensions of yourself, mm-hmm. or extensions of your knowledge and your brain and everything. And uh, and and so I think they they sort of balance each other out and help each other out in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I think that too. Yeah, it's like. I think the thing that I've recently just realized is how much of the things you learn in improv, like specifically being grounded and honest, is really what you need to do in stand-up as well. Yeah. The exaggerated for the sake of being exaggerated doesn't necessarily work. It's finding the truth and exaggerating it just to make it more clear that that's what you're talking about or that's what you're doing. Um, that's fun. Uh, I, I, I enjoy both. And I think it is something that they, they can work hand in hand if you uh, in, enjoy doing both. Not everyone does. Uh, the the um, next thing I want to talk to you about is some of the uh, gigs you got in the have. Like you got to do Why uh, with the Hannibal Burris show. What was that experience like? It was really cool. I, uh, I sent in a self-tape audition. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 I was, I was you know I was in Chicago. They filmed Why in L.A. and uh, I didn't really think anything would happen from it. But I, I did a lot of ad libs uh, that I added to the script. And I think that's what kind of was the selling point. And uh, and I had I've known Hannibal for a few years as well. And I don't know if that helped at all either. But he I remember him uh, responding and saying that 
um, when, I, when he said sometimes the under sometimes the underdog wins, mm-hmm. and uh, and I know they had a lot of like people who were just sort of better established or better known who who were on the show or were like doing little things on the show. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was pretty cool to know that um, trusting my gut and adding stuff and just playing around with the scene is uh, it was able to get me in there. Um, yeah. But it was it was fun. It was uh it's called uh, drunk drunk history intervention. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was just real real fun to do. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's neat. Uh, you mentioned a little bit ago uh, something that I wanted to touch on that you were doing therapy. Yeah, uh, it's something how when you start acting or doing improv or stand up, how you realize uh, the good work that you are inspired to do and want to do and aspire to do that sort of good work makes you have to deal with things like your your emotional baggage or whatever emotional blocks that you have up because it's really hard to genuinely connect to a character you're playing and present that character in a truthful honest way if in real life you have stunted growth or you know just arrested development or don't express your emotions very much it, you have to sort of deal with that. Have you noticed now? I know you've only been doing it for a little bit, uh, the therapy, uh, but have you already noticed how it's impacted your ability to perform? Uh, yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, more so for my stand up than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, I went into therapy because I, you know, it's just sort of uh, one, I, I just needed it in general to have and Most people do. I think I would say everyone should go Every, through Everyone should get a therapist. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, and, and I hate that a lot of people aren't afforded that opportunity. In fact, but I also get, um, in some aspects, why some people don't because they don't want to think that they're crazy. You have to talk their stuff out. Um, and in particular, I remember telling my mom, like, uh, I'm thinking about getting a therapist and she goes, <laughs> she goes, well, you know, Martin, you've actually had a therapist this whole time. God, I was oh, like, yeah. yeah, you know, I was like, you know what I meant? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But like so, I, so I, I get the aspects of why people don't, or why they're afraid to, or why they don't think they need one, or why they think other people shouldn't have one or need one. Um, but it, it, it's helped a lot in my stand-up of just being more truthful and honest, and mm. and talking about again, not necessarily skeletons or um, or the dark, or not necessarily skeletons or like you know whatever, but just like talking about like the, the dark aspects mm. of of my life or even like just human flaws mm-hmm. uh, and making mistakes and doing, doing dumb stuff and trying to grow and develop from that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes, comes out of like talking about talking it out on stage as well. Yeah. Um, I find that like talking to my therapist and sort of processing, you know, situations and emotions and then trying to make that funny later. Um, <laughs> and, and so sometimes I'm like, maybe it's too soon to be talking about this, but it, it I know it helps me. Um, and so I, I, I've been enjoying that portion of it, of being able to be so real and vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and tell stories where like, clearly I'm the bad guy in this story, but, <laughs> but I want to at least, I want to talk about it and hopefully like you learn something or you laugh or you, uh, you know, feel something or you, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. But like yeah. that, that's been something I've, uh, real, I think really was able to connect with the therapy and the, uh, stand up. Yeah, and you know that sort of openness is coming after you've gotten 
attention and accolades for your material for your stand-up i mean it's it was a couple years ago or was it 2015 and 2016 i may may be wrong um that split cider said you're a comic to watch i mean you're you're getting that sort of acknowledgement before even uh getting deeper into it like you are now so just imagine where it's going to go next yeah you know you're getting a lot of attention i even saw that rory scovel said check this guy out he's he's yeah uh, He's doing something that you need to be paying attention to. Uh, and that's a big deal because he's one of those guys who every comic is just like, how does he do it? <laughs> he, he's on another level, man. He's yeah. so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, other level is definitely a way to, a good way to put it. I, there's a lot more great stuff we're going to see from him. Um, and even you think about like John Mulaney, the stuff he was doing in uh, Hello, uh, Oh, Hello. Yeah, um, was just uh, so much deeper than maybe anything we'd ever seen from him before. Uh, just emotionally presenting things that I just never expected to see, and that comes, I think, from kind of dealing with inner stuff and being willing to express that emotion in front of people. Yeah, uh, some people don't feel like they deserve to feel the way they're feeling, or or whatever. Some people are fine feeling it but they're not fine talking about it yeah so the easier and, you get talking about it and, and i feel like i was in both categories for a while um mm-hmm. I, I was the type of person who perpetually yeah uh, kept in and you know and um, that's the one thing i'm working on is just like keeping emotions or feelings or whatever it may be bottled up and sort of like sunken down and you know not expressing that and that was uh it, it, it led to a lot of like failed relationships and a lot of like, you know, arguments and issues and this, that, the other, because I didn't want to express how I felt or show those emotions. And I think a lot of that too comes from being, being a man of color, uh, because we are sort of conditioned to have to be like hard and strong all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and keep it in and keep it in. You know, and, and I just, that's actually this, this one joke I do now is I talk about that where I mention how um, I think a lot of a lot of the reasons that is like it, it's hard to it's hard to be black and admit about being depressed or sad or whatever, uh, because we come from such a rich culture and history of like real sad shit happening to us. <laughs> and, and I just have like have a hard I would have a hard time like if I, you know, hopped in a time machine talking to a space. <laughs> Frederick about, Douglas or something. Yeah, like talk you know, talking about a, a breakup and like, oh I sold my family. It's like okay, yeah, I, yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a different good job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you is there a process that you are going through when you're developing material? Uh, obviously you are being true and honest but how do you come up with the clever line like what do you are you giving yourself a few options and saying ah that's the best thought what i always do is like so i i used to be the type of person where i had to write out uh my whole set mm-hmm. and you know and i'd be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i gotta open with this gonna make sure i put this in there you know and we'll close the closer and at some point i would like something happened where I would go off script mm-hmm. and then, you know, I'd get the light and I'm like, Oh, well now I, I got to figure out how to get back to this thing. So then I started doing a thing where I would only, I would only know what I was going to open with or what I was going to close and, and what I was going to close with. And that'd be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as far as like that, that sort of translated into the writing process as well. Okay. Um, 
I, I used to try to put it on myself to like, I got to write a new joke every single day, five new jokes a day. Otherwise, I shouldn't exist in life and everything is <laughs> Um But th- then I was forcing out bad material or stuff that I couldn't use six months from now or whatever. Um, so then I, I sort of allowed myself to open up to like, you know, either I want to talk about this opposite, you know, I, I got like a, the, the notepad function, right, in, in my mm-hmm. phone. And uh, I was like, I kind of want to open it up to where I can talk about things that will happen for a while or um, things that are personal to me. And that I'll, I'll know I would de- ideally what I'd want to talk about um, and like sort of how, how I'll intro this joke mm-hmm. and how I'll close this joke. And then I'll go to an open mic or try to laugh actor, you know, wherever it may be, kind of do everything in between and mm-hmm. just see how that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know. Interesting. Yeah, I think the thing that I am struggling with when it comes to breaking a joke is just kind of knowing what's the... I'll I'll obviously know what the premise is and what my take on the subject is, but finding it where the humor is or expanding on that humor so that it's an actually fleshed-out joke... I find myself having a tough time with that. And sometimes something can come to me if I'm on stage out of nowhere. But I want to be able to sit and write and like be able to process and break down a joke and, and say, like, all right, this is the actual smart take <laughs> to the direction to go in this. Uh, any advice you would have for someone going through something like that? Yeah, and and like even with... Like hearing, like when you say smart take, what do you mean? Uh, I guess not the low hanging fruit, but the deeper thought, and then the thing that makes it humorous. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think sometimes it's okay to it's okay to not necessarily go for the low hanging fruit, but it's okay to be dumb. I, I think we, <laughs> we we a lot of we a lot of times like put so much pressure on ourselves to have the most. Um, like visceral, you know, mind boggling, like how, how do I cut into the core of <laughs> the realness of this thing? What it's like at the end of the day, we're, we're doing comedy. Right. It's funny. Right. Just make people laugh and happy and smile. And sometimes they just want to forget about things or just like, like I remember I used to date, I dated this girl in, uh, in college and, and I, I was, there was some movie I wanted to see, and she was like, "Ugh, I don't want to see that." I go, "But it's such a." Everyone keeps saying how good of a movie it is. She's like, "No, I want to watch like The House Bunny or so." It was something random that she wanted to watch. But it was, I was like, "What? Oh, do you want to watch that?" She goes, "Because sometimes I don't want to think." And at the time, you know, I thought that was like the dumbest thing. Anyway, <laughs> you don't think. You have to think. That's how we feel things. Like, no, she was she was right to feel the way she wanted to feel. Sometimes you don't want to have to think about what's going on in the world or have to, you know, process a movie or, or a joke or whatever, just you want to have, it's okay, it's okay to be dumb and it's okay to, uh, have dumb thoughts. And so, mm-hmm. cause we, none of us are perfect. You know, right. that's why we aren't all millionaires who, you know, have the cure for every disease. <laughs> um, we, it, it's, it's cool to have that visceral, you know, new way of thinking idea, but it's also cool to be able to say, Oh, I can tickle you, you know, that's, that's like, that's the, 
that's the fun dad, the dad who can teach you a life lesson, but could also like hang you upside down, you know? And I think that's, that's a, that's a, a good approach to comedy is like, I can be the, I can be the dad who puts the bandaid over your knee. But I can also be the dad who, you know, gives you raspberries, you know? Yeah. Cool. Uh, what's next for you? Are, are you just planning on staying in Chicago or is there a move one day in the future? What is your, your future thought? Uh, I'm, I'm still in Chicago for now. Um, I, I wish I could give a specific timeline on how long, but <laughs> I'm here for now, uh, cause I, I like my job a lot. Um, and I, I, I like the people I work with and I, I like, uh, the process and, and the health insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but you know, at some point I, I got to fly away. Uh, I'm not sure where yet. Uh, mm-hmm. one of the two. Or maybe I'll go to China. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I uh, right right now it's just focusing on the Second City show, and um, I got a few I got a few like gigs coming up in Austin uh, for the uh, uh, for the Altercation Comedy Fest in September. Um, uh, I think in New York on the seventeenth. Oh, cool! Uh, July, yeah. So you know, really just bopping around whenever I can. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still in Chicago for now. Good deal. Uh, well, uh, we've got to the end of the episode where we create something together. I'm not exactly sure what that should be. Do uh, you have any ideas? Uh, I guess we could try to break a joke in a, our notes or something. Yeah, we could do that. Um, I've written a few things down that I haven't tried at all. All right, um, Let's see. One joke that I've never been able to figure out, and I've had it for a long time, and it just happens to be this first one that I see here. Um, have you seen these dog food commercials where they say your dog is a dog in every way, but deep down he's a he's a wolf like his ancestors, and so they show like a like a house dog. <laughs> next to a wolf and they're like running it out in the wild so the dog food commercial is like give your dog the kind of food its ancestors ate which i just think is a dumb way to get people to <laughs> like i just i love dogs but yeah. i'm not why is there a need for them to eat like their ancestors yeah, yeah i don't whole- need to eat like my ancestors yeah the whole reason they evolved is <laughs> what if you have a small dog like that like oh yeah my, my shih tzu is just like a wolf <laughs> um and one of the angles too that i had on it was like a wolf is a wild animal why do you want to remind people that this animal that they have in their bed next to their face while they sleep at night is a wild animal that could chew their face off like why yeah. are you trying to like I mean, at heart, maybe that commercial is more so for the dogs than it is people. <laughs> like, oh, clearly you want, <laughs> you're trying, like, you know, everyone's saying there's population control. I think that's what that is. That commercial is population control. <laughs> like, sit your dog, if you could, if you could leave the room, sit your dog down in front of the TV so you can watch this commercial real quick. Hey, man, you're a wolf at heart. Go murder that, go murder that motherfucker right now. <laughs> unlock the door. In your blood, you know how to unlock the door. Do it. Find more dogs just like you run these streets <laughs> so it's kind of like taking the uh basic idea of like who's that for and then finding just the comedic ways to present like that take on it is what yeah is what we just did yes 
It's funny how, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like it's funny as long as I've been doing stand up, how I could still forget how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it happened, man. We, uh,. And especially in a, in a climate like New York, you get like what two? Like, are you if you're still if you're doing open mics, you get two minutes per mic. If you're if you're lucky to get up, a lot of them are like two three minutes, and then there'll be some where you can actually do like five or six or something like that, but which is nice. But at Tipsy Hustle, you get actually like five minutes at least, maybe maybe even seven minutes. Wow, like, they give you a lot of time, and that's like a really good spot. Um, but yeah, it's just fine. I guess like. I'm trying to find a new approach. And so it's almost like I broke it and I'm starting over again, but yeah. I'm, I don't want to relearn the basics. I just want to do, <laughs> I just want to do, do it better. Yeah. Uh, and also like so much of comedy is like, uh, well, that doesn't work. You know, it's, it's almost hard to talk about it. Yeah, because well, one thing, one thing I, I've taught stand-up classes at Second City, which I know a lot of people are like, oh, how dare you teach stand-up? You, it's a thing you got to just do. Um, but I, I, I find that my three, my three tenets stand-up-wise are one is a where you're trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. That's where you're like, you know, you know, we mentioned like low-hanging fruit, stuff like that. That's where you're trying to do those sort of grasping for straws types of jokes. Those, you know, the, the blue humor, the... The uh, the shock value stuff. Oh, I, you know this this thing just happened in the news. I got the latest hot take on it. So that's the trying to be funny phase. Then you have the want to be funny phase. That's when you realize that that stuff isn't working or didn't work for you. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you have more of a desire to actually be funny, um, and you um, you essentially uh, start to develop your start to develop your voice in in a lot of ways. Uh, and then finally, the last phase is like funny, where you you finally figured out some aspects of how to make everything work, or at least seem to work. Cool. Yeah. Well, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast, Martin. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jason. It was a pleasure to have him on the podcast, and you can find out more about what he's up to and doing by going to martinmorrowcomedy.com, and you can also check him out. This weekend, if you're in Chicago, at the Comedy Bar, he's going to be performing there August 25th through the 27th as well. And he'll be at the Altercation Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas at the end of September, the 27th through the 30th. So go check those shows out. You can also follow him on Instagram and Snapchat at Martin M. Morrow. That's two M's right in the middle there. And you can also follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at There It Is Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason Far Jokes and on Instagram at Jason Far Picks. Well, folks, that's today's episode. We have another fun one next week. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.